Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Go, the podcast. There is literally less than a week until election day. What the fuck? Your God. That's the craziest shit ever. It's honestly, it's really weird because I feel like we have been counting down to this day for so long. Literally. And it's almost one of those things where like, even as we've gotten closer, it just feels almost like a little like unreal. Like, you know, when like someone like always moves like, what's that old phrase? We know I'm going to mess this up. Like it's like moving the benchmark, like moving the, like continuously moving the needle. Well, either way, it keeps feeling like no matter how close we get to it, I'm like, oh, it feels so far away. Yeah. But then it's not. And it still does though. It still feels like far away. Like it's not actually here yet, but it sure as hell is. And people have already voted millions in, in fact, which is super exciting. But yeah, just crazy craziness. But we concluded our trip in New York City, and you're gonna be just seeing a lot of content from us because we took a lot of so pictures. much content, and there we're really excited about them, honestly. So just get ready, just get ready. Literally, and there's this like one video that is absolutely iconic because we had like this dude walk through. He walks by in front of like us and our photographer like in between and just like flips up like t- like this peace sign and there's just something so iconic about this video. I don't have the words for it, but I'm obsessed with it. No, it's funny like, because it's just- I didn't even notice cuz in the regular like normal speed video, he just walks by and you can't see anything. Like it just looks like oh, somebody walked in front of the camera. And then I was like looking at it in slow-mo, slow scrolling through to kind of like get a few screenshots. And that's when I noticed like the guy was just full peace sign up in the middle of it. I'm like, okay, so, so now good. we have to put this whole video in slow-mo, put it somewhere for for the fans because it was just a cute little moment. And it's making really its way downtown us. and onto my Instagram. That's all I can really say. Yeah. Yep, 100%. So, also, I think that Maddie and I can just take the L and say that we've been perpetually hungover for probably the last like how many days? How many no, days? I, when I tell you my body hates me right now, and honestly, I definitely have drank a lot three days consecutively, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which is like, I don't do that anymore. So that alone has my body like punching me. But me and Mac also have just like eaten so much food. I just feel so disgusting. I'm like, I need a full, full body detox ASAP. He's up, he's up. Got this, but, got this girl cucumber water. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. <laughs> Seriously, some bone broth, something. But Wait, did you have a story? I had an interesting Halloween anti-Semitism little situation. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Little story I saw your story. But why did so I think that was that? like a repost? Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that wasn't the story. Not the dude in Soho that was wearing a Nazi costume that was rightfully heckled out of said establishment. Mm-hmm. But no, I was – so I was having a great night absolutely great night on the Halloween town. And we meet this like massive group of guys. They're so fun. We're having a great time. Anyways, a bunch of us like go to like their pregame, the pregame. So fucking fun. Like, I'm just like, absolutely like, wow. I like, love when random stuff works out. Totally yeah. living. Then we like get into Ubers to all go to like the place we were going out and we're in the car. And one of the dudes goes, is anyone Jewish in here? And I'm like, 
Uh-oh. Yeah, I am. Like, you know, like, first of all, why are you asking that question? Usually yeah. in New York, someone asks that question and they're like, they're going to say like a camp reference or like, you know, something like that. Like, that's more the thing. So at first, I like, I didn't think of it as odd, but I like was like, yeah, whatever was the only one. And then I realized why he asked because immediately one of his friends, just funny, it was the one friend that I really didn't like, started playing Kanye. Mm. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, so you just asked that question because you knew it would offend someone that was Jewish to play Kanye, who is like literally putting a microphone to like hateful rhetoric about Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And then your friend then thinks like, oh, this is a smart idea. Like, let's keep going. So I go, I like literally shout up. I'm like, so who in the world just thought it was like a good idea to put Kanye on after asking me if I was Jewish? Did, who yeah. thought this through? Like, turn that off right now. Like, you've got me fucking kidding me. Silence. No one's saying anything. Music's a play. I was like, no, 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 no. We're all going to stop this car right now if you don't turn this off. Like, I literally, like, it was every once in a while. Like, I mean, I lose my shit eloquently. But I was like, absolutely yeah. not. We will not be having this. I, and I was like, this type of behavior makes me feel unsafe. This is why other Jewish people feel unsafe. You asking a question about like my, you know, people's identity and then doing something that immediately disrespects it or puts them in a space that does not feel safe is right. absolutely no okay. You are only propagating this like anti-Semitic behavior, yada, yada, yada. But it was mm-hmm. just such a weird thing of like all of my years in New York, I've never had an experience like that. Wow, that was a quick disrespect. But I got everyone to apologize and all this thing. So I worked my magic on it. Yeah. And hopefully it was a good learning moment for people. Learning moment. I like, yeah. I was like, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, no, honestly, no, 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 no. we are not doing this, you know? Yeah. It's just the fact, too, that like you said that you were Jewish and then he continued to play because the music. If it were just like, on in the background and I didn't even notice, like say it was just like on a playlist or something yeah. like that. I genuinely don't think like I would have even clicked in my head because we were all chatting and all of that. But the yeah. fact that there was the question, the thought that this was wrong and then doing it. Mm-hmm. And then no, the that's original... what would make that's what sh- would make someone feel unsafe is that they disregarded your feelings about it, basically. I think it was almost like weird because it's almost like he was on the right path of like almost asking for like consent in a way to play the music. Yeah. And then it just completely spiraled into problematicness. Totally. And he was so. like, like, what should we call it? Like, what okay, what what should we put on this whatever? And like yeah. one was one of the two people, like I could tell, like realized they really fucked up kind of mm-hmm. situation. And I was like, good to forgive learning moment. And then there was other one that like even like you know how sometimes in someone's apology, like the approach is just you're like something's just off with them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, of course, the friend I didn't like from the get-go. Yeah. Anyways, regardless, the rest of the crew was great. Those and it ended up still being a funny night and all of that. Oh, for yeah. sure. But it was just one of those things that like totally took me off guard. And I was like, wow, I have never had an experience quite like this. Very interesting. Very so, interesting. Well, anyways, fuck long story short is... And fuck that. Call it out when you see it, though, because... 100%. Speak up. No, no. Let me tell you, no one else is going to do it if you don't. Totally. And it's, like, definitely an uncomfortable thing to do, especially in a social setting and especially in a fun setting where you're like, totally. I don't want to be, like, a downer or, like, be that person. But... percent. Yeah. At the end of the day, it takes everyone, like, kind of speaking up and chipping away at these issues because, like, even if the people who are you know, joking about or whatever seem harmless, like that kind of rhetoric just needs to be stopped in its tracks in order to like move everything forward and progress everything else. Totally. So proud of you. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my and, moments, on that, you know? and on that note of just, you know, doing the right thing, mm-hmm. should we introduce our guest? We should, because this guest is amazing. And like this is one of those conversations where we started chatting with the guests before we even hit record and we're like oh shit we should have started (laughs) this recording beforehand because she's just such a delight and so much fun we talked with angela lang who's the executive director at block and we get into so many things including really community organizing relational organizing talking about what that means on the ground and how that can be effective and really talk about some of their listening programs that are 
super, super effective, these like really key tools to getting not just voters out for a particular election, but create sustainable civic action and engagement, which we obviously love to see. So you guys can just listen to the conversation instead of listening to me ramble, because besides that I'm rambling, my lips are also really chapped. So we have to move into this because (laughs) I feel like I am talking against like chalkboard regardless, Mm. without further ado. Here is Angela Lang. Alrighty, let's get into it. You are the executive director of Block. For those that may not know Block, haven't heard of it, like, what do you guys do? What's the mission? Give us the 411 here. Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Really excited to be able to talk about our work and just also everything that's happening in Wisconsin, too. But Block was founded in November of 2017. In a lot of ways, it was response to the 2016 election, not necessarily Trump himself, but kind of. I think the big thing that really bothered me is like everyone's kind of autopsy report. Well, if if you people would have just come out, we wouldn't Mm. be here. And I was Mm. like, that's not the right analysis. (laughs) Our community is some of the most disenfranchised and least engaged. And so I took issue with us being solely responsible for the outcome of the 2016 election. And so really wanted to kind of have this like for us, by us model. There were candidates and campaigns that didn't talk to our folks. It was Mm -hmm. noted that people said, I never got a door knock or no one ever told me about voting. And so instead of putting all of our eggs in a candidate or a party, we wanted to just do that work ourselves. And we wanted to do it on a year-round basis. And so having folks from the community get trained up about civics and then being able to have a year-round engagement program specifically to the Black community here in Wisconsin. And so we started out in Milwaukee. Our office, our headquarters is in the most incarcerated zip code, 53206. So we show a little extra love to the zip code uh, given all its challenges, but we've also been able to expand to the Racine and Kenosha areas as well. Very excited that just recently PBS aired a segment on our expansion to the Racine and Kenosha area. So we're very proud of that work. And who knows, maybe we'll continue expanding, but wanted to basically make sure that we had a year-round presence around civic engagement, not just voting, but showing up to testify at the city budget hearing where your tax dollars Mm -hmm. go to. It's writing letters. It's educating people. And even if you don't have the ability to vote, like many in our community don't, there's still ways for you to be civically engaged. There's still people on my team who've gone through the criminal justice system that unfortunately haven't had their voting rights restored, but yet here they are doing all of the civic engagement work. So we wanted to kind of reframe and one, not wait for people to engage us. We're doing that work ourselves. And then two, you know, you're not only able to participate in this political process, by your ability to vote. Everyone should be able to participate in the civic engagement process, even if you don't have the ability to vote. There is still room for you to make your voice heard and to educate others. Mm -hmm. Love that. Well, you guys also have an agenda around different policy solutions. Can you kind of tell us some of those and really like what was the catalyst for also kind of like taking on this policy side as well? Yeah. So our bread and butter is that we love knocking on doors. COVID had put a damper on that a little bit. So we're very anxious to get back out there and how we've been out recently. But in 2019, you know, probably close to two years of knocking on doors, there were some general kind of themes that had emerged, 10 different themes, everything from democracy to education to transportation. And so what we did was we kind of mapped out what are these 10 different themes that came up. And we had a community meeting and we said, all right, everyone that's interested in talking about transportation, go in this group. And it was just a brain dump with the community. What do we want to see? What do we want to see expanded? What do we want to see taken away? What do we want to protect when it comes to this issue? Let's like really dream of our vision around these issues. And then there's butcher paper and just like notes everywhere. We Uh compiled that. And then we came back and said, here, it's on paper. This is what you all came up with. Went back to those same community members and said, how does this feel? Did we forget something? Now it's on paper. Do we still agree with this? And then we ratified it as a community. And it's actually really cool because some of the folks that were at that those events are actually a part of our team now, kind of launching and continuing these discussions with the broader community. And so it really kind of came about just really doing a lot of listening. I think that's also something that makes us different is that organizations or campaigns kind of come in and say, hey, you know, I'm this person, you know, trying to sell you an idea or sell you an an agenda. We want to flip that. We start every conversation with what does it look like for the Black community to thrive? 
And so we could take that conversation in any different direction if we really want to do that listening. And then we say, oh, okay, well, this is the candidate that we're supporting. We don't lead with that. We want people to understand, you know, the roles and responsibilities of these offices. So we're able to kind of have the the block agenda really kind of be like our guiding star of where we stand on these issues. And it's also meant to be a living document as well. And we look forward to coming back to the community so much has changed since 2019 when we first launched that. That was pre-COVID, just a handful of months before COVID hit. And so we are in a different world with different needs. And we're looking forward to being able to adjust that accordingly, but really do that based off the feedback that we're hearing from the community. Totally. With that agenda in mind, right, you're listening, you're talking to the community, but I'm sure a lot of that also connects with building coalitions and working with other organizations and everything. Mm -hmm. How does that work? What's been the process for you guys in really trying to build momentum and build power? Yeah. So one of the things that I always tell people when I give like formal PowerPoint presentations is that we work in solidarity with other communities of color because we truly believe an injustice to one is an injustice to all. And a lot of us, we were actually just talking about intersectionality earlier today. A lot of us sit at the intersection of multiple identities, whether it's, you know, queer, woman, a black, all of that, millennial, transgender, whatever it is, like we sit at all these different intersections. And so I think for us, it's important to be able to work with other organizations that also do that. One of the things I think is important to note is that Milwaukee, any given year, bounces around somewhere between the top three most segregated cities. And Milwaukee is incredibly segregated. Grew up here, born and raised my whole life. There's literal bridges that go from the north side to the south side. And sometimes people don't even cross from one side of town to the other. The south side is predominantly like Latinx. The north side is predominantly Black. East side is, you know, where the college and universities and some rich people are. West side is a little bit diverse. And so understanding that our our city is so segregated in order for us to build power, we need to work in solidarity with other communities of color. So groups like Voces de la Frontera that does a lot of immigrant rights work, we have a, a deep, meaningful relationship because we understand this idea of criminalization, right? Like we're being criminalized through mass incarceration and our people are put in cages known as the criminal justice system, yeah. what's happening at the border and has been happening for years with kids in cages. We understand all our fights are a little bit different, but overall, we understand that we're being criminalized from by merely existing in our bodies. And so how are we building that power collectively? And while our fights may be a little bit different, it's still under the banner of white supremacy. So being able to be aligned with other organizations that do similar work, you know, we show up to each other's events, we speak at each other's events, we throw down with each other. We have to do that intentionally so people understand that there is really intentional and meaningful Black and Brown organizing that's happening together too. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of organizing, we want to dive into our I Have a Stupid Question segment and really kind of get down to the bare bones of really some of these tactics and organizing tactics and such. So to start, it is a silent canvas. Yes. So this is one of my favorite things. Our silent canvas kind of came up organically. It was something that we created shortly after we launched. At the first thing that we did in November, so the bitter Wisconsin cold, was knock doors and ask that Thrive question. And once people realized that we were asking questions and like neglected zip codes like 53206, we had a lot of like well-meaning white people that were like, oh my God, what are you hearing? Because people just don't engage that community. And so we're, you know, excited. We're like, we're hearing this, we're hearing that. And it's great. And then we were like, as a staff, wait, like we don't want people to take these anecdotes without actually engaging our community themselves. Like you can't just like pocket these stories that we're telling you without actually talking to Black people. And so we said, let's be more like conscious of how we're telling people what we're hearing. So we had this conversation as a staff. Flash forward, we go to a partner event, nine to five working women, really great, lovely organization. We went to their holiday party and my state senator happened to come up to us and was like, so Angela, what are you hearing? And this was after we had this conversation as a staff and one of the former organizers, she kind of looked at me, she kind of winked and she was <laughs> like, well, you want to know what I'm hearing? Come shadow me. And he pulled out his car and he said, yep, cool. Angela knows where to find me. Email my office tomorrow. I would love to. And he walked away. And she looks and she's like looking at his business card and she's like, 
Angela, I didn't expect him to say, yeah, what do we do? And I said, oh, we're emailing his office tomorrow. And he is my personal state senator. So like he is doing the thing. And so we, you know, we're sending this email and we're like, this would be a great thing for anybody that represents Milwaukee, not just state Senate, but state representative, county board, common council. So we sent the invite to, you know, those four bodies. And we had four people. We had initially do it. We had the state senator that kind of kicked it off. We had two state representatives and someone that was on the county board. And what it was is that, you know, there was an agreement now that people have to sign saying that you will be silenced. There's no campaigning. There's no buttons. There's no staffers. We post the social media first and then you can share it from our page. All these different things. We role play, even if people are recognized. Hey, aren't you so-and-so? I really want to talk to you. Oh, sorry, they're not allowed to talk. So we're going to redirect you and we're going to connect you later. So you can't have that one-on-one conversation, but they're only allowed to listen. So we role play all of these different things. And so the first time we really didn't know what to expect. And yeah. so I texted my state senator. And I was like, hey, how did it go? This is the first time we were doing this. And even though he's my state senator, we put him specifically outside of his district. So he doesn't represent the north side of Milwaukee at all. And but when he goes to Madison, you know, he's not representing just his district. There's kind of like you have to represent all of Milwaukee a little bit. And so I was like, how did it go? This is the first time we did this. He said, Angela, I saw the best and worst of Milwaukee in a span of two hours. I said, boom, this is a thing that we didn't realize we did. And next thing you know, we had three presidential candidates do it. We had probably close to 100 participants. We've opened it up to partners and to journalists as well. We always have to keep it very intentional. So it's not this like poverty, you know, tour where people are like, oh, look at these poor Black people. We really want this to be an educational. And people are knocking on doors. They're hearing the issues and um, actually doing active listening and not listening to respond like a lot of elected officials do. Well, let me tell you about the bill that I have. No, no, no. Just truly listen to not respond. Just listen and absorb. And it's been kind of this big thing. And we always tell people in other states, if you all want to take this tactic, take it. Just give credit to the Black women in Wisconsin that created it. But it fundamentally changes how people engage our community. And we cut it off, too. So if there's like a primary election on a Tuesday, we cut it off at least a couple weeks in advance. So you can't just like slide in during mm-hmm. the last couple of days and be like, I did the thing. No, no, no. You have to engage our community early. That's kind of the point. You yeah. can't right. transactional with our community. So it's something that we're That's... proud of. And it just kind of happened organically a little bit. Genius. That's so smart. I'm obsessed. Um, have you guys trademarked this yet? That would be my <laughs> No, people ask that. And I'm just like, no. But everyone, like, it's well documented. Like, NPR yeah. did, like, a whole thing on the on the silent canvas. They they followed folks around. So it's like, it's very well documented where it came from. All I just ask is, like, if it, again, a bit fundamentally changes how candidates are interacting with your community, by all means, take it. Right? Go go do the thing. And, you know, we just know where it came from. And it was yeah, Black totally. women on a cold Wisconsin day that were like, let's do the thing. So. Yes. Yes. I also love yeah. that you guys cut it off at a certain point, especially for mm-hmm. candidates. So it also, I feel like that really requires, whether it's a candidate, elected official, any other category, for someone to actually really sit with the information that they've yep. gotten so that the solutions, if hopefully they have solutions to present, yeah. actually are like well thought out. Because like I know, yep. like for me, like I'm a long processor. If I like get a piece of information like right now, it's going to take me like several hours, if not days to be like, huh. Like, what do I really think of this? And then, yeah, okay, yeah. what are the ideas that come from? So it's nice to see yeah. that it's and not it's like, so okay. And it's so true that you don't, want, you don't want the answers right there. Because, like, the whole point is that, like, you need to listen. And you need to go home and work with your staff. And, like, there should be a solution that's well thought out and executed. But, like... It, it is so true. Like, it's just immediately, you you know, these electeds or candidates will, you know, kind of churn up some type of answer they think could help or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, no, that's all we want. It's a crucial piece to like even like what Sam said, like doing that cutoff day. But even having as a candidate doing that, like literally at the start of your campaign and then you build your campaign around it. Like, that's really how yeah. it should function. So that's just people ask. They're guess. like, it's a it's a silent canvas, but can we talk about our experience afterwards? And I said, please do. Like yeah. everyone, especially if they're a statewide candidate or they're campaigning in their district, 
Everyone has a story. Oh, I met Miss Mary and she told me this, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has those like campaign stories that like make them feel good. It's like, we want to be included. We want our stories told. And what was interesting is that there's a lot of folks that understand power, privilege, specifically white privilege, but would get back to our office and it was like, oh, I fully get it now, right? Because they weren't immersed in it. They can't, you know, the, people have read books. They have an understanding of, of privilege, but it's different to experience it. There's been people that have come back, moved to tears, and they were mm. like, I understand my privilege in a different way now. And one thing that I, I remember was Beto O'Rourke. He signed up to do it. He was a presidential candidate at the time. It was in March. He did it on St. Patrick's Day. It was a Sunday. He was so eager. He was like running in between doors because he had a limited amount of time, but he was doing it. And then I was getting calls the next day because the next day he was in Michigan. I don't know if it was Detroit or somewhere else, but I was getting calls. They're like, so Beto work like stood on this table and was talking about the silent canvas he did with you all yesterday and how it had a profound impact on his thinking. And, wow. you know, so it's like even things like that, people are still, you know, talking about it and engaging with it in that way. And so I, I think it really moves people. I think it gives people a different understanding. And quite frankly, I think the higher office you end up running for, the less you're actually knocking on doors. You're doing rallies. Mm. You're doing roundtable discussions with your own supporters. But when was the last time that the governor or a presidential candidate gets to knock on someone's door and purely not talk and not, totally. you know, not to I've do anything? I've always said that, too. I'm like, just there should be, a, you know, a way to campaign or again, like beginning yeah. a campaign like you literally as a candidate, you go around and you don't say anything and you have a clipboard and some notes and like you're just jotting shit down. Like exactly. that's how it should be. And I've always thought the way like, you guys are executing. I think that's so epic. I mean, there are definitely some folks who struggle with the silent part. Um, yeah. Like <laughs> Senator Cory Booker, love him dearly. We have him on video saying, hey, my name is Cory. This is Rick. We're from Block. Can we talk to you for a second? Love that. Love, love Senator Booker dearly. Just yeah, to show that people just don't get a chance to engage with everyday people. And so I'm glad that, you know, people in, you know, running for president or people that are in Congress that may not get a chance to talk to average people yeah. are able to have that experience, too. Mm hmm. Totally. Why does that just feel so in line with his personality? 100%. Just like absolutely. Right. Like he's, a, he's just like kind-hearted. I, I want to yeah. talk to everybody kind of guy. So I was like, totally. you know what? I'm not even mad at you because no. you're great. <laughs> it's hard to be. It's hard to be mad at him for sure. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, well, we do have another question. And that yes. is, what is community organizing? I know we all talk about this a ton, but that actual like, bare bones definition of what it is, I feel like escapes a lot of people's brains. So from your perspective, what is community organizing? Community organizing is something that I think everybody can do. It's literally just having conversations and building relationships within your own community. It's being able to organize, okay, we want to have a speed bump on this block because there's always a lot of, you know, speeding cars and we want our children to be safe. It's organizing your neighborhood around a collective issue or it's organizing your, it may not be a neighborhood. It may be people that identify with similar issues as you. It's, you know, organizing LGBT folks and, and pride parades and to be intersectional. I think it takes a lot of different forms. Mm -hmm. um, even though I'm an executive director, I still consider myself an organizer. I just organize, yeah. you know, communications and dollars and fundraising now, which is, you know, interesting. It's different. But I think, you know, once you're an organizer, and you're really rooted in your community and not trying to speak for your community. I think that's always like a thing is like we don't want any like white savior complexes or anything. But like, how are we empowering people with the tools and trainings and resources for people to advocate for themselves and then also have people have the skill sets to come together? Let's have this petition so we can have a block party. But that means we need to organize everyone to be on board. Or maybe we want people to donate things. And so I think organizing comes in a lot of different forms. Community, I think, is the most important in organizing whatever that community space is. But then there's also electoral organizing, which is a lot of what we do as well. We organize our community into electoral work. But I think community organizing is something that anybody can do. It's weird. I am... 33 and I've been organizing for 15 years this fall and it's very strange but I feel like I started community organizing 
when I was a student at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, my community was students, right? My community was my, my family in my neighborhood and being able to organize and specifically educate. I think that's what a lot of mm-hmm. organizing is. It's being able to understand someone's story, someone's lived experience. What are the issues that they're passionate about and how are we organizing to get the issues that we care about either worked on or talked about or whatever that outcome is. And it's it's building a base. And I think it's building a little bit of infrastructure. There is a lot of activism, which is great, but sometimes people don't have that like organizational infrastructure to plug into. And so how are we organizing sometimes people's feelings and emotions and giving people the tools and the resources to be able to advocate for all those things for their communities too? Totally. And I have another question, and that is really related to all the different phases of life, right? Like you were saying, you got started in organizing as a student, and that just made me think like, okay, we we move to different places throughout our lives and have different, you know, phases. Obviously, being at school, sometimes things can be nice and organized, and it's, you can find clubs and you can find different yep. groups. But like, for those of us that have graduated school, how on earth do you find a community organizing group? Like, what is your advice for finding groups in your community to get involved with? Because I think that search process can be trickier than people realize. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think what I tell folks is that are there candidates that you like? Candidates that are aligned with your values that you are excited to vote for? Hopefully there is at least somebody <laughs> in everyone's life that they're excited about. Hopefully. But who knows these days? But I True. think I, w- I would start there. And a good tip and trick that I actually tell our team is that person likely has a website and likely on that website is a list of endorsements, whether it's individuals, but also community organizations. And so if you like this particular candidate, maybe seeing who they're endorsed by, what organizations they're endorsed by, because there's probably some overlap and some alignment between that organization's values and your values because you both are supporting the same candidate. I think that's a good kind of jumpstart. I think also paying attention to to social media, right? Sometimes just going on Twitter or Facebook and looking at Milwaukee organizing. What comes up? What are the posts that pop up? It's it's those things where you kind of just want to find an entryway and then you just go down that rabbit hole, right? You kind of just go down there like, hey, I like Barack Obama. Cool. Who was he all endorsed by? Labor unions, you know, people, organizations. And then you kind of just, I would say, going from there. It's really smart. Yeah, I feel like universities are easy because at least back in my day, we had almost like a phone book type of thing. It was like this paper copy. I'm (laughs) sure it's digitized now. But it was like, here's your 300 student orgs that are on here and their contact information. So you're flipping through and you're like, oh, highlight. I'll reach out to them. There isn't so much that anymore. But I think being able to look at the candidates that you support and seeing what organizations support them is a, a good start. That's a really, really good advice, I think. Great place to start. Okay, well, next question is, what are ban-the-box laws? Yeah, so in in Wisconsin, people, there. I mean, we we deal with criminal justice in a lot of different ways. People have various, you know, laws in, across the state. But when you're filling out an application for a job or housing, there's always that really annoying box that says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And you're not supposed to be able to uh, discriminate against people that have been. But we know by asking that question, it's going to happen. And so there have been campaigns. Gosh, it feels like almost 10 years ago now. I remember having these conversations when I first started organizing about banning that box. So people can't ask that question. And so it's not limiting people's employment or future employment. It's not limiting people's housing opportunities. And so there has been an effort in the last several years to kind of ban that box. At least locally, we've been able to do it for like city and county workers because the city and county gets to kind of control those contracts and whatnot. It hasn't been, you know, widespread to everything, but there's been little advancements here and there that have been great. But unfortunately, people do tend to ask that question. I think that there has been a lot of folks that even though they're not required to take that question off, a lot of progressive groups are like, we just aren't going to ask that question. We don't ask that question. We lightly kind of do a very, very light background check to make sure, you know, 
people didn't murder anybody and stuff like that. If there's any like violent things, we may need to have a conversation. But understanding how disproportionately our community is impacted by the criminal justice system, we don't think it makes sense to have that extra barrier when we know that our people are picked up on a lot of ways on kind of BS charges. And Mm -hmm. so just because you may have a felony, that doesn't mean it's necessarily justified or that you've got it through doing something violent. We know several people that have technically have felonies, but it's something ridiculous because we know how the criminal justice system works. And so I'm glad that there are people that are like, stop asking those questions, but we're making a push, you know, on those like kind of government forms too, to make sure that question isn't asked as another layer of, and a form of discrimination, to be quite frankly. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Well, we do want to dive into all things Milwaukee. I know we touched on this a little bit in terms of the city being pretty segregated. But for those that aren't familiar with Milwaukee and the political landscape and just generally how the city is laid out, can you sort of paint that picture, especially on the political end of things? Like, what is Milwaukee like? What are sort of the takeaways people should really have an understanding in terms of the city? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, I have lived nowhere else. And that has <laughs> been by design at this point. I mentioned how I went to UWM for college and that was like, in walking distance from my high school and still live on the same side of town now, right? So I lead Milwaukee through and through. I feel very strongly about Milwaukee. I could have at some point left and I'm making the decision to do the work that I do in the city that I was raised. And I think that's very important for me. I've been quoted on several occasions, people love this quote, is that I've said that Milwaukee inspires me and breaks my heart every day. And I think that is, oh, oh, to me, I think that sums up Milwaukee. Milwaukee is incredibly resilient. We are scrappy people. We will make it work. But also, if you kind of don't respect Milwaukee, she will, you know, chew you up and spit you out. (laughs) You know, a lot of people claim to be from Milwaukee. And I'm like, where are you from? Oh, you're from the suburbs of Milwaukee. You're from the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County. And, you know, the city has gone through a lot of challenges and struggles economically, you know, Wisconsin as a whole is the worst place to raise a Black child. We have all these different demographics. As I mentioned, we're home to the most incarcerated zip code in the world, quite frankly. And the fact that we still make it work somehow, we still find pockets of joy, I think is really indicative of the people here. Politically, it's a democratically lean city. But we also understand that there's a lot of anti-Milwaukee sentiment in Madison, where our legislature is. And Mm. so... Usually people use, oh, well, Milwaukee this. It's really kind of dog whistles for black and brown people because that's where the highest concentration of black and brown people are is Mm. in the city of Milwaukee. And so we've seen the legislature make specific rules for cities over a certain population have to do this or Milwaukee can't do that. Oh, shocker. We're the only ones that fall into that formula. Just recently, the Republican challenger against our, our current attorney general He announced a couple weeks ago how the Wisconsin Department of Justice needs to investigate Milwaukee crimes. No one else, no one else's crimes need to go to the Wisconsin Department of Justice, but just Milwaukee. Milwaukee is just so terrible Mm. that the Wisconsin Department of Justice needs to investigate every crime and not how it is locally. So Mm -hmm. we kind of hear these dog whistles. We're the largest economic engine in the state, but people really just don't don't put respect on Milwaukee in in that way. And last thing I'll say is that there's no way to win a statewide election, specifically without Black and brown voters that are concentrated in the city of Milwaukee. So we understand why there's the threat there, why people try to um, undercut us in every single way, why there's the dog whistles. We know that we're important. And as goes Milwaukee, can go the rest of the state. In 2018, the last midterm, it was a very late night. It was up and down, Scott Walker, Evers. We didn't know which way it was going to go. And it was on Twitter. Breaking news was on Twitter from a reporter that said the city of Milwaukee was still counting the absentee ballots in Milwaukee. And I think at the time there was like 30,000. But everyone, when that tweet came out, there was kind of a collective sigh. And it was like, oh, okay, Milwaukee's got us. But my phone blew up at one in the morning because once it was announced that these ballots were still being counted in the city of Milwaukee, everyone kind of had an inkling of where where those ballots would fall. And I was getting, you know, people were thanking us for our work because they were like, okay, now this means that Ebers is going to win. And spoiler alert, he did shortly after those ballots were counted. So we see the power that Milwaukee has, but specifically Milwaukee can be code for black and brown people too, which I think scares people. Yeah. 
Totally. Well, what is what is kind of I'm also kind of thinking too. I'm curious, even nationwide politics too, right? Like how Wisconsin is really looked at as as a battleground, right? And I like a lot of time does it come down to Milwaukee and like there's a lot of political power there, but also kind of what is the political experience there for voters or for people who want to be voters and especially for people of color. So how does that dynamic all end up playing out? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have a lot of folks that are like, why does my vote matter? Why should I participate? You know, I voted before and y'all said my life was going to get better and it didn't. So why am I participating now? And so I think people's voting experience isn't always the greatest. And so I think what we try to do is really center on this collective community power. Right. And that voting is one tactic, one of many tactics. But if you have a tool in your toolbox and you know, something's broken, you got to try and figure out, you know, which tool to use, but use as many tools as possible. Voting is just one. And so I think it's important for people to, that they have not just like a political home, but like an organizing home. And we try to be that as an an organization for folks. So I think the importance of the year-round engagement is because one, we want to turn a non-voter into a voter, which is a huge conversation. And it's not always linear. You think you make some strides and then something terrible happens in D.C. And they're like, well, I don't want to vote anymore. This is just ridiculous. So, you know, that's a really big conversation. Two, we want people to feel educated on the role of the office that they're voting for. You know, hey, we have a state Supreme Court race. Do you know that they're 10 year terms? Do you know that they ruled on things just as recently as eliminating absentee drop box locations? So really kind of doing that education. And then the last conversation is, and then this is the candidate that we support. And so we think that by or our, our theory of change is like by educating people about the political process and opening people's eyes to how they fit in that process, the more likely you are to be engaged because learning politics, the ins and outs, the po- you know, the the way it works is difficult. It's time it consuming. Like I get paid to like know all the things and like it's my job to do this. But if you're, you know, let's say a single parent and you are working two jobs, like you may not have the time to be like, how do I understand the city budget process? And so I think that this is why I always keep stressing the importance of year round organizing because we're able to have those conversations. I can't have this big conversation about turning a non-voter into a voter starting now. We started to have those conversations last year. And like I said, they're not linear conversations. You know, people go back and forth and flow out of the three conversations very easily. And by continuing to build those relationships, hopefully people can feel a little bit more confident in the process or at least confident in participating in a process that was always told to us that we did have access to. Totally. I think that's so incredibly important. And it's interesting, too, because we've been having a lot of conversations with people about The whole registering to vote process and the Mm -hmm. midterm elections. And one of the things that we always talk about is like, okay, getting people to vote and registering to vote in one election. But like, how do you get them to turn out again? Like what's happening between that first election that they finally say, yes, I'm here, I'm doing it. I'm, you know, empowered or inspired and I'm doing it. And then whether it's the result that, you know, they want or not that happens, but like getting them again to show up and continuing to use their own power to make stuff happen. And I'm like curious from like your perspective of conversations you've had and just even seeing like what has worked at getting people to be essentially like repeat voters and what's honestly on the other side too, if there's anything that's been like an absolute no, like, yeah, absolutely. We're throwing this out. This did not work. I'm just curious to, you know, hear what that dynamics look like for you. Yeah. I mean, we love our accountability work. What we try to tell people, you know, when we had a lot of this conversation in 2020, I don't think I'm shocking anyone by saying that, like, some folks in our community were not enthused for President Biden, right? That that was not their number one choice, myself included. I had two other endorsements that wasn't Joe Biden, right? But I think how we engage people, people are like, it's Joe Biden. He's moderate. Like, should I show up? And I was like, listen, this is step one. But then we need to see our vote through. And that's what we were saying. Like, we are like, we're showing up to vote because we want to see some sort of change. We want to see mm-hmm. something meaningful. And if we're just showing up to vote and be like, okay, have fun, go do the thing, then we get mad that elected officials aren't doing what we want them to do. And it's because we're not following up. We're not saying, right. hey, I elected you. What is your agenda and your position on this? What are you doing about that issue? Right. And so we love to tell people and kind of connect these dots 
Also, we have a little bit of an advantage. This is the one good thing that we have about this is that we have elections in Wisconsin dang near every six months um, at this point. So like November, we have an election and then we turn around in February and have a primary. We have an election in April, April to like December or April throughout the rest of the year is like the longest stretch where we don't have an election. And so people are able to kind of put these pieces together and say, I voted. But then now I need to make my voice heard about what my priorities are and what this person needs to be working towards. So I tell people, like, don't just show up and vote and thinking that, like, things are just going to go the way you want. We need to, like, hold people accountable saying, I voted for you for this. And we know, you know, we all have access to the same databases. And so sometimes, and there is a rumor, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's true, if um, people want to meet with, like, say, their, their older person, Right. Sometimes that person will be like, let me double check to see if this person even voted to see how much time and effort I should give them. Right. Again, not everyone has the ability to vote. So there may be reasons why they didn't vote. But we've seen sometimes people take seriously communities that vote because they're seen as the loudest. And so we want to make sure that people, again, are seeing their vote through. You can't just vote and then expect them to do what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. They need to hear from us on a year-round basis. That's why I feel like I have good relationships with all my representatives. I'm on a texting basis with them. You know, a lot of them are good friends of mine at this point. But I think being able to, to do that accountability work, hey, the city budget process is coming up. You just were elected. How are you voting? What, where are you allocating funds and what is your proposal? So I think continuously being able to advocate for the issues we care about, it's more than just voting. And I think we need to reframe civic engagement as more than just voting as well, too. 100 percent. I mean, we always talk about the long how politics is a long game and that can be super frustrating for people, obviously, like when you finally get out to vote or you finally register and you are like, hey, fine, I'll, I'll go vote. And then, you know, something may happen. Maybe the person wins or not or that, you know, a Joe Biden gets in there where you're like, OK, well, he's not like my first pick. But, you know, the, the small steps that that can create to then, you know, the next election, maybe someone more progressive can get in there. It's just like it's such a long game. And I think well, as frustrating as that is, it's such a key component of civic education that people need to understand. So, yeah, it's a very comprehensive thing to be civically engaged in its work, but it's so important. So I think all of that is amazing work that you guys do. But I mean, looking- it's one of the things that we educate people on, right? Yeah. Is like, we don't want people to be like, okay, it's just about this election. We do a lot. We give out like research assignments to our team. And be like, go research the 94 crime bill or go research the Civil Rights Act. And, you know, let's talk about voter suppression and poll tax, because I think what's important is if we understand a little bit of that history, we understand the moments that we're in now. And it makes it a little bit more deeper. Right. The, yeah. the work is deeper. It's not just, OK, I'm trying to get this person elected. People view it in like, a, um, I would say, a more impactful yeah. type of way because they've seen these kind of trends and how our community has been attacked when it comes to voter rights in all these different ways. And so our team is able to say, oh, that new thing that they're trying or, oh, they eliminated Dropbox locations. Oh, that's a form of voter suppression, right? Because we've seen all these different things that constantly evolve in our community too. Mm -hmm. Totally. Absolutely. Well, looking at this year's election and obviously always beyond, because that's what we just talked about, what's going on with you guys as far as what conversations you guys are having? What's the status of your guys' work right now and some of the priorities in this last stretch? Yeah. So one, I'm excited to say that our team is at almost 70 people of what we call ambassadors. And so ambassadors are like canvassers on steroids, like people hire canvassers and they're like, yeah, here's a tablet. Here's some literature. Go go talk. We put our team through 30 hours of training before they even knock a door because we want them to be trained on civics. And so there are people that are like, I didn't know anything about politics before coming here. I thought I was going to get a cushy canvassing gig. And then I realized y'all just threw me into all this education. (laughs) So we're making sure that we're making that people know how to get registered, what IDs you need, because sometimes it can be confusing. We do have photo ID law here in Wisconsin. So making sure people are prepared to vote, it's, you know, we've undergone some changes and doing a lot of that, that education. But now we're really excited to really kind of shift a lot of our conversations to a more partisan, you know, vote for the candidates that we're supporting. One of the things that we really enjoy doing, and we're going to see how long we can do this until the weather kind of gives out. 
but we've been doing neighborhood cleanups because that's also a good entryway of just like engaging the community. And it's like an icebreaker that isn't politics because, you know, Mm, a lot of people, we're not the only ones knocking, right? And so people are like, oh, another knock at my door about politics. But if you see people cleaning someone's jar, they're like, oh, here's some Gatorade. What are you out here doing? Oh, actually, I'm from Block. And, you know, we do this. And would you like a neighborhood cleanup? We're doing on, on the second Saturday of the month. Can I get your contact information? Would love to tell you about some of the other so things smart. that we do. And so we really just try to show up to our community as full people. Yeah. Obviously, this election is super important, but it can't be the only thing that we talk about because totally. we view our community as more than just boats and commodities and whatnot. Yeah. We send out things like Wellness Wednesday texts every Wednesday. Are you good? Do you need to be connected to mental health resources? So we try to bake in some of that other stuff, too, because I think that's what's missing with other organizations. They just show up, vote, 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 vote. And it's just like, we're in a pandemic. When we had to vote in April of in person in April of 2020, everybody was texting during get out the vote. Hey, don't forget to show up and, and vote on Tuesday masks weren't available yet everyone Mm. was really it was just a couple weeks into the pandemic and no one really knew what to do and this was the first get out the vote that i was like not leading with the candidate you know the last couple days you're always making that final critical push and we weren't leading with the candidate we said hey we know rents do and here's this pandemic are you good and we got a lot of really great feedback they're like this is how you do gotv in a pandemic This is how you show people you care about them outside of their ability to vote. So we really kind of have that balance of how are we showing up for community while also understanding how critical it is that our community shows up for politics, too. Totally. Totally. That's huge. Build trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just such a good point of like there needs to be more than one entry point to these conversations. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it's relatability. It's being able to actually speak people's language and understand that there is more to be connected to in terms of voting and civics and all this stuff. It's it's a large conversation and yeah, we've we got to try from so many angles. Totally. Yeah, exactly. It's I I don't want to say a Venn diagram. Like I don't know what graph I'm trying to think of my head. Clearly didn't do well in that class. But regardless, there's a graphic yeah. <laughs> that we yeah. may be able to create at some point. But regardless, we do yeah. want to give everyone the 411 on where they can find you guys how they can get involved and how they can support your work. Where is that? What are the deets? What's the plug? Yeah. One, we have a website, block by block, B-L-O-C, B-Y-B-L-O-C dot org. On there, you can send us a message. So people are like, a question after this conversation. I want to follow up. You can send us a message through there. There's also donation links and whatnot. And also our block agenda is on our website as well. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. Our TikTok is slowly but surely coming together. So definitely, I always tell people we love being able to get connected with folks. So if people want to connect with us, you can send us a DM. Um, another way that people can support our work, I always tell people I'd be a bad executive director if I didn't make a fundraising ask, all of this takes money. Because like I said, we have nearly 70 people that get paid for 30 to 35 hours a week and they all get paid livable wages. But understanding that people may not have people to get connected to or money. One thing that I think everyone can do is amplifying our content. And I don't say that just to have like a broad reach because we want to be everywhere. I'm really concerned and I'm sure a lot of listeners are about the times that we're living in. We're actively whitewashing what's happening in our society. There are people that think that January 6th was just a school group, right? And it's just wild. And so how are we amplifying not just like block content, but content from black and brown organizers that are on the ground? Mm-hmm. So it's not so there's like a record of it. It's being documented and that there is pushback and that it's not this the story that we're actively writing together as a society is not being rewritten and it's not being yeah. whitewashed. And so I think being able to amplify the stories on the ground is always super important. Totally. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure and you guys do such amazing work. So we are super excited to highlight it. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.